evening and welcome to South Sudan in Focus on the Voice of America. I'm John Tanz on this live broadcast from Washington. Here are some of the top stories making news across Sudan and South Sudan this Friday, February 23rd, 2024. Sudan's conflict has affected the oil industry in South Sudan. And farmers in Upper Nile State blame climate change for lower food production. The problem uh, we don't have fuel, we don't have enough uh, tractors to, to plug the land. And we'll have these stories and more coming up on South Sudan. South Sudan is beginning to feel the heat from the conflict in Sudan. The country's oil industry is operating at lower capacity after a dramatic drop in pressure on the main pipeline transporting crude to the international markets via Port Sudan. An oil expert who spoke to this program on condition of anonymity said there were serious oil leakages at Station 3 and 4, forcing oil fields across the country to shut down pumps as precautionary measures. The expert, whom we shall not name for fear of government reprisal, says crude sales were suspended since February 12, 2024. What could be the implications of these drastic measures on South Sudan's revenue collection and her crippling economy? We now go live to Jok Maru Jok, an analyst and co-founder of the Juba-based Saad Institute, to educate our listeners on the immediate effects of Sudan's conflict on South Sudan. Jok Madud, welcome to this program. Thank you, sir. Happy to do it. Uh, to begin with, uh, do, are you well informed about what is happening in the oil industry? If so, tell us what is going on. Yes, uh, very much indeed. We have followed the, the news uh, from afar uh, on these uh, really drastic developments uh, with regards to the flow of oil and revenue generation from that. Um, when the Sudan's war between SAF and RSF began in April 2023, uh, South Sudanese um, automatically had two major concerns in mind. The first one, of course, is the refugees who had fled their own war and went to Sudan and now having to flee back to South Sudan in really, really dire circumstances. The second one, of course, was the fate and the future of the oil, given that South Sudan depends on Sudan for the passage of its oil to markets, to global markets, mainly to Port Sudan. Um, and so uh, what about it now? Well, that the, the, the lifeline to the government of South Sudan oil is reportedly disrupted uh what will what this will mean uh removal of that revenue uh, as you indicated that it was shut uh, the, the the sales have stopped since the middle of this month um what will that mean for uh not just the government but for the whole country and its people in general i think the immediate consequence of that uh is that the government will not be able to meet its obligations. Already the government was behind on salaries, behind on social services, and unable to deliver what, much of the needs of the people. Yeah, what about uh, non-oil revenue collections? I mean, uh, lots of um, goods are coming through the border points across South Sudan, and 
most of the goods uh, traders pay taxes over these goods or over the, the you know the imports. Where does this money go? Well, um, that is a really good question. Uh, you know, when the National Revenue Authority was uh, administered by two subsequent uh, foreign uh, managers, one from Ghana and one from Tanzania, uh, the oil revenue, uh, I mean, the, the national revenue collected from non-oil, from taxes and customs duties and so forth, was uh, running up to 50 billion. And, and now um, it's down to a, few, to a mere tens of millions. That means uh, the money collected from non-oil sources is not going into the treasury. This, this one is uh, well known. It's not going into the treasury. It's getting lost somewhere, uh, even though it has been... Um, uh, how do you, how, do, how and, do you know that the money is not going into treasury? Do you have any evidence to prove because it was reported. They reported 39 million the other day. 39 million as I speak. From, from billions before. So that means uh, either there has been a really serious cut in trade, which we, do, we know is not the case, or the money was not given to, to, the, to, the, to, the, to, to the treasury. And so... Um, we, and we also know through other means, including the report of the, of the uh, Auditor General uh, of South Sudan, saying that the money collected in Nimuli and in uh, Nadepal and all these other locations where uh, taxes are collected is not making it to the government. Um, and uh, even uh, Minister uh, of Finance, uh, Dr. Bach, went to Nimuli uh, not long ago and found that there were up to 15 different offices that had been set up to collect money from customers, from people crossing the border. Even National Security had its own office. <coughs> um, the, the, the various offices were collecting money. <coughs> and so it's, the money is not going into the, into the national coffers. Yes, yeah, just the last question here. I know that uh, you, uh, you, you, you have people who... Uh, previewed information on the corridors of power in Juba. What are you hearing about this uh, silence on the potential looming shutdown of the oil industry? I mean, I made several phone calls to the, the Ministry of Finance, the Ministry of Petroleum, and the Ministry of Information. None of them picked my calls. Why is the government silent about something that will affect everybody? I think they are simply afraid that um, announcing uh, the, the problems with oil will furthermore um, affect the, the exchange rate and, and, and weaken the, the pound. And so people are very edgy about it, talking about it. And uh, because, you know, economy is usually afraid of bad news. And so... I can understand why they don't want to talk about it. Uh, but that does not necessarily remove the problem. I think they will still have to communicate with their public in order for people to be in the picture. All right. Otherwise, 
this uh, can also be a source of trouble. All them. right, all right, Dr. Jok Jok, uh, time is not our best ally, but thank you for educating our listeners on this development. That was Jok Jok, an analyst and co-founder of the Juba-based Sad Institute. He was speaking with us live from Syracuse in New York. The Associate Press reports that nearly one year into Sudan's conflict, individuals escaping the violence still face shortage of humanitarian services. Aid agencies say internal displaced persons in Zamzam camp for IDPs in North Darfur state are crippling with severe levels of malnutrition due to inadequate humanitarian support. Nabil Biagio has more from Washington. The French medical charity Doctors Without Borders, known by its French acronym as MSF, says about 300,000 people displaced by the conflict in Sudan are living in difficult conditions in the Zamzam camp, 15 kilometers south of Al-Fashir, the capital of North Darfur state. Masajid Ahmed Bashir, who lives in the camp, describes her situation with her sick child. I have a child and he is so sick and the hospital is so far. It takes two and a half hours to get there. Other hospitals are closed because of the conflict. He's still sick. The Sudan Armed Forces and the Rapid Support Forces began fighting for control over the country on April 15 last year. Another IDP, Manazur Bakhid Ahmed, says they have received nothing since arriving to the camp. She says they used to have cards allowing them to get food, but now even these cards have stopped, leaving them with nothing. We have had nothing since we arrived here. We used to have food cards, but we do not have them anymore. Now we do not have food. We just exist here. We plant trivial things to eat. MSF's chief of mission in Sudan, Jean-Guy Vato, describes the conditions in the camp as catastrophic. The mortality rate measured in the Zamzam camp in January 2024 was 2.5 people per 10,000 people per day. That's almost 10 times the normal mortality rate you would expect in a camp like this. And two and a half times the mortality rate we would call the emergency rate. It's a truly catastrophic situation. Vator emphasizes the dire nutritional situation at the camp is driving up the mortality rate among children. The nutritional situation is not good. Among children, a quarter of them are acutely malnourished, and 7% of these children are in a state of severe acute malnourishment. What does this mean? It means that these children who, if left untreated, will die within weeks. In a written statement shared with VOA, Adam Brijal, the spokesperson for displaced people in Darfur, describes what he calls unprecedented humanitarian conditions imposed on civilians by both parties of the conflict. He goes on to write that tens of children, pregnant women and aged IDPs are dying daily due to acute malnutrition, lack of food, medicine and drinking water. He urged the international community to put more pressure on the warring sides to halt fighting and allow in aid. In an update released Friday, the United Nations said 8.1 million people have been displaced by the conflict inside and outside of Sudan. It says there have been 13,900 reported deaths.
The UN Refugee and Humanitarian Relief Agencies have asked for 4.1 billion US dollars in immediate aid for Sudan. For VOA News, I'm Nabil Biagio in Washington. Still on Sudan, a new report by the United Nations Human Rights Office accuses both Sudan's warring parties of committing horrific violations and abuses against the country's civilian population, with some potentially amounting to war crimes. Lisa Schlein reports for VOA from Geneva. A new food analysis by the Integrated Food Security Phase Classification, a very scientific evaluation of food security, released today warns 18 million people across Sudan face acute hunger. It says this is the highest level of hunger ever recorded during the current harvest season, a period when more food is available. United Nations agencies say ongoing conflict, escalating violence, low agricultural production, High food prices, climate shocks, and displacement are exacerbating the food crisis. Adam Yao is the deputy food and agriculture representative in Sudan. He says hunger in this war-torn country will reach new levels during the lean season in May when food stocks are at their lowest. Speaking from Sudan's NR state, he told journalists that more financial support and unimpeded access to people trapped in conflict hotspots are needed to ward off the worst. The Sudanese people require more support, more than ever, our immediate action to preserve the life and livelihood of rural Sudanese community is absolutely uh, crucial. The longer we take to respond, the more life we expose to the imminent threat of famine. Today marks eight months since rival generals from the Sudanese Armed Forces and Paramilitary Support Response Forces plunged Sudan into a conflict described as one of the world's worst humanitarian crises. The World Food Programme says the war has unleashed terror, violence, displacement and immeasurable suffering. Despite this, WFP spokesperson for Sudan, Lenny Kensley, says the crisis is not getting the international focus focus and attention that is warranted. Speaking from Nairobi, Kenya, Kensley says regular and safe humanitarian access to civilians in areas worst hit by violence is inadequate, as is international financial support for a crisis of this magnitude. Since the start of the conflict, WFP has provided life-saving assistance to over 5 million people, preventing an even worse deterioration of food security especially in eastern and northern Sudan. Yet this is only scratching the surface compared to the immense needs that we are seeing on ground. WFP reports only one in five people most urgently in need of food assistance in the Khartoum area has received it since the conflict started. It says it has been able to provide food aid to half a million people from Chad to West and Central Darfur since August. However, it notes WFP has been unable to provide desperately needed food to people in other parts of Darfur since June. This because armed groups have refused guarantees of safe access to the volatile areas. Lisa Schlein for VOA News, Geneva. You're listening to South Sudan in Focus from The Voice of America. Coming up, farmers in Upper Nile State blame climate change for poor harvest. Find out why after the break.
Hello, listener of South Sudan in Focus. We have an exciting new segment dubbed Words of Wisdom. We want to hear your thoughtful proverbs that echo through your community. This is another chance for you to share wisdom from your roots. All you need to do is record a proverb in a language of your choice, tell us its English translation and what it means. Keep it brief, authentic, and represent your community. Your recorded proverb shall be sampled on South Sudan in Focus every Wednesday. Send your recording via our WhatsApp number, plus one, two zero two six three zero eight zero one one. That is plus one, two zero two six three zero eight zero one one. You're listening to South Sudan in Focus from the Voice of America. Residents of Malakal Town say climate change has affected farming activities in the state, resulting into low food production. They say the land is exhausted and activities such as burning of charcoal might have affected local food production. Mamer Abraham Quat reports for VOA from Malakal. Some farmers in Upper Nile's state capital, Malakal, are renting generators to pump water into their gardens to grow vegetables along the River Nile. The farmers say they do not expect to see signs of rainfall until May or June, unlike previous years when it rained beginning in April. Hood March is Director for Mechanization at Upper Nile State's Ministry of Agriculture, Environment and Forestry. He says crop production has fallen in Malakal County, due to land exhaustion and insecurity. In uh, 2009, uh, 2012, we cultivated in the summer season, even uh, autumn also, even in, in the winter, because we have generators. We can put the, the path in the water, then to, to plow the water. People are burning the charcoal on the soil. The soil is exhausted. If we start to cultivate or to plant the, the vegetable or the cereal, she cannot even survive because... The crop production are reduced nowadays. The cause of these people are appearing. We are willing to work and to do our farm. But the problem is it is insecure. Mike says the state needs tractors and generators to combat hunger. He is urging residents and government officials to prioritize farming for food security. The, the minister is working very hard uh, to settle that issue. The, the problem of our uh, uh, vegetable farms and the gardening, even our scheme in, in Amaman Jacks. We are on planning, but the problem, uh, we don't have fuel, and we don't have enough uh, tractors to, to plug the land. So we look into the government to, to intervene. We will ever be in a very good condition if our partners and the national government intervenes, support us, as opposed to hire our citizens uh, to be mobilized to go to the pump, and then uh, this kind of anger will be chased out. 45-year-old Adao Lualwio, a mother of four children, buys vegetables from farmers and sells them in Malakal town. She says low food production could present another crisis to families who depend on the markets for food. We had been farming, but after the crisis, there is no serious cultivation. We do not harvest anything these days. When there is much rain, sorghum gets spoiled. When there is little rain, they are also spoiled. Some of the women collect vegetables while others sell water in town. We buy a bucket of vegetables at 500 South Sudanese pound. 
when many women are selling it, you run at a loss. But when you are lucky, you will get a profit of 2,000 South Sudanese pounds. This is how we now feed our children. Manyok Deng, a vegetable farmer in Malakal, says he suspects land is not productive because of years of dependency on fertilizers. We cultivate a vegetable. When they grow, there's some time weather. We don't know whether the land is not fertile or the fertilizer we were supported with. We suspect the problem might be with the soil. It is only onion that perform better than the rest of the vegetable. Some Malakal residents say they believe climate change is to blame for the low harvest along the River Nile. Erwal Tut, a father of two, is an internally displaced person living in Malakal. He says he has seen some changes this year. He says he has sold enough vegetables at markets in Malakal town to feed his family. We cultivated at the outskirts of Malakal because there is no space within town. Last year, we did not have a good harvest. Production is sometimes good or bad, depending on the weather. Maybe this is because of the climate change. This year is better than the last year because we have already sold a lot of vegetables since January. The cost of living in Malakal is high. The exchange rate of South Sudan pound against US dollar is 140,000 South Sudan pound. Prices of major food items have also doubled. The price of a sack of sugar has increased from 85,000 South Sudan pounds to 140,000 South Sudan pounds. And the price of a sack of maize flour has increased from 80,000 South Sudan pounds to 100,000 South Sudan pounds. For VOA News, I am Amer Abramquat in Malakal. From Malakal, we move back to Juba, where some South Sudanese living in Kator Payam joined officials from the Ministry of Roads and Bridges to witness the inauguration of Albino Bridge. The bridge was constructed in 1969 and has not been rehabilitated for years. The residents thank the Japanese government for supporting infrastructure projects in South Sudan. For VOA News, Dennis Lohoni reports from Juba. People living in Kator, Payam and neighboring areas say the reconstruction of Albino Bridge could increase traffic to the area and enhance business activities. Jacob Elias Suleiman, who owns a shop in the Kator area, says the bridge will encourage commuters to access his business. Our business is for clothes. There was a lot of dust. In just an hour, you can clean three or four times. Even the warehouse is full of dust. This bridge came out well, and all the people in the area are so happy and we were so tired because we were using the road going to Tumbra and Konyo Konyo. The road there is burnt, but now this road will bring us more customers. We can walk till late time, like 8 p.m. or 9. Kato resident Halima Iba Francis says the renovation and completion of the work on the bridge will help families access other services from Juba town. 
I am so happy today. Our road is clean. The water tanker will now come home and pour for us water. The time they were renovating, we were fishing the water from the tap. I will say thank you. If there's another bad bridge, let them construct like this one. Kasmiro Sokiri Ali, a resident of Marcas Jiran, a suburb in Kator Payam, says the bridge could ease movement along the road to other areas and usher in other positive developments. If the government was also doing such kind of thing like this one, it may be better. That is the kind of peace and will bring to us a lot of information from outside and people will get good way of going to work. That is easy to people who are going to Melekia, who are coming from Melekia to their normal places of work near Gator. A priest at St. Joseph Paris says reconstruction of the bridge will make it easier for worshippers to attend services at St. Teresa Cathedral in Kator Payam, but he cautions that the renaming of bridge is causing concern in various communities. Let us not change any name. We are hearing down, down, some people want to change some names. Don't change any name. I encourage all JICA and the government of national and central to keep the names for the record of this country. Our country is young and so energetic and beautiful. And we must make sure that the names that were given to these all the bridges and roads is so important to our people and the generation of this country. As a church, we need cooperation, development, and services to our people in South Sudan. Tanaka Hiyoyuki, the representative of Japan International Cooperation Agency, says after the construction of Freedom Bridge, his office will continue to repair other important bridges around Juba Town. This grant aid project aims to enhance the traffic network in Juba by upgrading these three critical bridges, which will inevitably lead to safer and more efficient traffic in Juba City. Today, we are gathered here to commemorate the handover ceremony for the new Albino Bridge. Construction of the two remaining bridges is ongoing. Giyane Bridge and Kokora Bridge are expected to be completed later this year, which will mark the end of the Grand Aid project. South Sudan's Minister of Roads and Bridges Mijok Mijak promised to complete work on bridges under construction. He says his office is working to develop other feeder roads to ease traffic in Juba. I'm directing my DG for, ro- for roads and bridges as well as the director of bridges, George Uku, to do their assignment to get the real name Albino, the full name of Albino, and then Haboba Bridge and all the bridges along Luri Road inside Juba. We want you to help my team for this assignment because we are going to put the names on the bridges plus the traffic signs. We are not going to change any name. We are using the already names we are getting at the site. We will only give names for new infrastructure. The Japanese International Corporation say construction of Albino, Giada and Kokora bridges are expected to cost 20 million US dollars. For VOA News, I'm Dennis Logony reporting from Juba. That's all we prepared for you this Friday, February 23rd, 2024. We thank you very much for having been with us throughout the week. And uh, as we end this week, we wish you a nice weekend. And we will leave you with this song, Salwa.
is listening to uh, Rababa Group from Sudan's Blue Nile State with the song Salwa. I'm your host, John Tanza, on this live broadcast from Studio 14 here in Washington. On behalf of our producer, Kwame Ofori, and engineer Peter Heinle, we wish you a lovely evening. Remember to join us again next week for another edition of South Sudan in Focus from the Voice of America. Hey, 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 hey.